what's going on guys back again with another episode of the pokey talk podcast just kind of going with the flow we have a few topics to talk about this time we're going to talk about some uh, sales that we made and some annoying buyers and annoying sellers and some sketch buyers and sellers a little bit of everything yeah notice some market trends kind of you know, everything's still kind of going down. I've been watching uh, a lot of the sports side of things really crashing hard. Pokemon's still hanging in there with, uh, you know, the good sets. But yeah, kind of want to touch on that, too. Like what makes a good set stand out over time and kind of uh, what we've seen in the past. But yeah, what's what's going on? What's new with you? Well, I would say a lot is pretty new. Um I was able to sell both Cruella for PSA 10, the Hook PSA 10, and the Robin Hood PSA 10. Cruella Yep, and it was pretty cool. The guy, I actually had Hook down low. I, his market price was, what I, I put it at was about 2000 That's what I about had the market price. And somebody came in and just swooped it up. Uh, he, I actually... When I looked who bought it, it was actually somebody who I've communicated with before in the Disney Lorcana Discord. Um, and I knew he was a pretty big player. So as soon as I saw it, I was like, hell yeah, I, I don't have to worry about anything. I know who this guy is. Well, I kind of know who this guy is. Um, but he sold his complete PSA 10 set a few hours prior. Like PSA 10, all seven with the D23 promo set and the Mickey card. Uh, somebody bought that all of them for $30,000. So congrats on him for somebody. I mean, I hate to say it, but they overpaid, right? Um, so he's trying to buy it back for a little cheaper. Yeah. He was wanting to have a complete set. And since mine was buy it now for 2000, that was the market price. Obviously I didn't want to risk sending it to auction. Um, although I might've should have done that. Uh, but anyways, we, also communicated, I reached out with him on Discord and on eBay, and he, he, he reached back on Discord, and he was like, hey, would you want to make a deal with the Robin Hood? I'm like, hell yeah! <laughs> let's make yeah, a deal. Let's go. Uh, so, he was able to save quite a bit on, you know, no sales tax, and um, the being able to circumvent a little bit of the eBay fees. So, we ended up selling that for around 2 k which would have been, actually, it was tw- just under... 2100 with everything um so that's equivalent to like 23 2400 on ebay and so that was at market price a little above you could probably say because i got more in return i'll say it but that would have been the equivalent on ebay so i did pretty good there and the uh, cruella sold for 2300 which was about a hundred dollars anywhere from fifteen hundred dollars slightly over market price potentially um you can, you can argue it was right spot on. I think I had like 22, 25, 2250 for the last month and a half, two, two months for the market price. So you can argue it was on par. Uh, that yeah, one is going like to Germany. Like, yeah, 21, 22. I was just thinking, like, since they were kind of sliding a bit, that they would continue. And I was looking at the 2000 mark, but it seems yeah. like they've kind of slowed. Like, the, well, the, drip, the drops kind of slowed, but there's also not that many popping up like there was before exactly and i think buyers are starting to see that we'll kind of touch up on that with some of the communication i've had from inquiries with my some of my listings and uh i there was seven bidders on that cruella so that's telling me either people are seeing if they can get it for cheap 
or that's telling me people are realizing this could be the potentially about as low as it gets for the floor. Um, and people are trying to get in either are they potentially causing it to go up a little bit? Maybe, but there's clearly still a lot of folks still interested in these cards and they're kind of disappearing from eBay. And the re and the reason why I decided to do auction on Corolla was I was tired of fooling around with it. I just want to test the waters and see what's out there because the best buy it now is we're like 2,500 plus. And I'm like, you know what? Let's see what happens. And, I'm very happy. I was kind of right with you. I was because I didn't want to get my hopes up. I was like, 2K, I hope it sells for. And it did. I mean, it sold for, you know, obviously about 2300 So I, I was ecstatic with that. And now we have the stitch that goes this Saturday night at nine. Um, we got three bidders on that one. I already got some low ballers. A guy that asked, would I do 2K for him? I didn't even bother responding because the market price just is three thousand dollars. Just for him, just for yeah. him. Yeah, special. Me, please. I didn't even respond. If he, if he asked like twenty five hundred, I would have actually responded to him. See if maybe I couldn't get him to go higher and like you know maybe it would be worth it. But not twenty five hundred, obviously. But maybe if I could get him closer to three thousand. Um, but yeah, that, that wasn't even the ballpark. And he he'll be another international sale. I'm like no, I'm, I didn't even entertain that offer, which. International is fine because once it gets to uh, eBay, it's their responsibility. Or once it goes through the international shipping, it's their responsibility. So if something happens, it's they have to cover it. So I'm not too too worried about it. Just yeah. once it gets there, once it gets there, I'm good. I got nothing to worry about. There needs to be a video I make off of uh, the authenticity guarantee and the global shipping program because. I think I've touched on this in the podcast before, but I had a situation with uh, my yep. PSA, well, the first PSA 10 grain party I had, where I sold it, and then it went overseas, and then it arrived, and like the entire slab, like right down the middle was cracked, and it was still in my original packaging, which could have been better. It wasn't a box, but it was a very heavily padded like envelope inside another padded envelope. Like Never had any problems with that before, but... You know, essentially, you send that to eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and then they put it in their own box, um, from what I understand, um, or at least they used to back then, but it's very unclear how it was. Either way, though, if my item makes it to eBay Authenticity Guarantee and it's authenticated, anything after that point, it's on eBay, so... Even though I shipped and it went through and it got through the authenticity guarantee between the eBay spot and the seller who was like over, I forget where even he was, but it was way over there. Um, I think you said Singapore. Yeah, I think it was Singapore. Um, but yeah, it arrived to him cracked. And when I first reached out to eBay via telephone, they were like, yeah, you just have to offer a refund. Sorry. And, and grade the card again. And this lady did not know what she was talking about. And it was hard to find online, but I found some forums where they said the uh, the text support on their website was a lot more helpful. And then once I got that done, it was, like, taken care of really easily. Um, they got to keep the card, so they, they won. But ultimately, I didn't have to refund. So, you know, what more can you ask for? Exactly. 
So it is a but, uh, headache and a nightmare, but you know, yeah, you need to make a video on that, and uh, it does ease people's mind a lot. But it some weird stuff still pops up, but yeah, if eBay, if you get someone who actually knows what they're talking about through the eBay support, you should have no worries with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I. What I noticed with this one is it looks like it was going to international shipping service. So I don't know if international sales have their own authenticity guarantee station in that area. That kind of makes sense, right? Like, it would make sense in the sense that you would have it in the same location as international shipping. That way you can authenticate it and ship it out same day or, you know, the very next day. Whereas it like this last one, I had to, to do authenticity guarantee went out to California, yeah. and this one's going to Illinois. So I assume, but either way, I know international travel they take care of it, and it was over two thousand dollars, obviously. So yeah, I'm not sure how it works for the international stuff, but yeah, I'll have to I'll have to check into that, but. Yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. I know you're wanting to get that Mario 9. Yeah, and we move closer. We have Stitch, like I said, going Saturday night. So I guess by the time this airs, that one will have sold. Um, so there was also a Maleficent that sold this past Saturday uh, for just under 3K. Um, but the one of the worst times to end isn't just on like a weekday or a week late weekday night. It's ending it like in the middle of the day, which is what he did. I assume he might be from, he might be overseas. Uh, the person that was selling it, I would have to look to confirm, but essentially the best time to try to have something to end is like between like six and 10 on like a Saturday or Sunday night. Yeah. I had this Corella go about seven um, people, the majority of folks are usually at home around that time. And my girlfriend who does a lot of calls, she, she works with, uh, um, mortgage loans. She basically, a lot of people that she calls the, the best, the best time she has for responses and all of that is after 7 PM. So and she said consistently, that's the best time to reach people. So using yep. kind of that knowledge, I went ahead and went for those time slots because I looked at a lot of these listings that sold lower than market price. They were during the weekday. Yeah, I feel like a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff that I'm really wanting to get a lot of eyes on, I'll do, I'll even do Sunday night a lot because I feel like a lot of people are winding down for the week yeah if you do friday like any time's good it's hard to hard to say what's best like yeah like yeah that that 6 p.m to 9 p.m range is what i go for and usually i'll go for like a sunday if i can so like people have eyes on it Mm -hmm. and while they're winding down they're more than likely if people go out to dinner that's usually on a friday or saturday so yeah it's uh it's got it's got its benefits for sure. Yeah, so this one Stitch goes at nine o'clock Saturday night. Um, I was kind of antsy. I wanted to be up because I was hoping other sellers would see that and not put their stitch up for auction. Be like, okay, let's see what this one goes for. Let's not try to 
um, have multiple, therefore potentially lowering the sales of both. I don't know if other sellers think like that, but I, but I do. And if you have another auction in like a day before the same day, that's going to influence how much you're going to get. So right now I haven't looked today, but I was pretty much the only auction or me. And uh, it was a the Maleficent Dragon, which already sold. And then the Mickey and then my Cruella sold. And then I think it's just the Stitch and Mickey and that's it. So that's why I went ahead and pulled the trigger on that because I didn't want somebody else to um, – Add. And I, I kind of wanted to sell this quickly because if you look at the last sold, I think it was like early October. So by the time this one sells, it'd be a month. And it was late September when the last one sold in auction. So, yeah. Yeah, they're weird. They've been uh, <sighs> the nines, especially, and even some of the lower tens. They've been trickling down slowly, but then I yeah. feel like it's like two steps down, one step up. Like they're they're fighting and holding on strong. Um, I do want to do a video also on like the state of Lorcana. Um, I just filmed yeah. some Lorcana openings. Ooh. I, uh, did you pull anything? I got, I got a couple good legendaries. I got, uh, John Silver and the Surfing Stitch. Um, Ooh, so which, nice. which those are actually spiking in price as we speak. Yeah. Because I'd uh, say the Stitch yeah. I thought went, went big because it's getting a lot of play right now. Yeah, a lot of people were on the Amber Amethyst train, and yeah. now a lot of people are on the, uh, um, a lot of Emerald and Amber, so it's been doing quite well. I think Stitch was like a ten to fifteen dollar card, and I just pulled it today, and I looked, and it was forty bucks. So there's no supply out there. That's the biggest uh, issue right now. Yeah, so. and uh, they they did address that to an extent, saying that it, there's gonna the first, the next or the reprint of set one is gonna pretty much co go hand in hand with set two release this November. So we'll see how big that is. Um, is it enough <laughs> to make the prices go down? I mean, if it's not enough to make the prices go down, then that means it wasn't even a big reprint. If it's if it's enough to make the prices go from the three fifty booster boxes to two hundred, that means it's a sizable reprint, but it still won't be enough. And I think they're aware of that. Yeah, I think no matter what, it's not going to be enough. It is really fun to open. I just opened, what is it? I guess fourteen packs. It was total. Probably shouldn't have shouldn't have opened all that, but I'm going for a uh, you know binder set, master set, hollows and all. So figured, why not? I'll just open it all. Extremely fun to open. You get two rares plus the hollow slot, so you could potentially get three rares or better. So it's just really fun. I wish Pokemon was like that. It would help a lot with the prices of a playability game. I think that's why Magic does it already. Um, so yeah, it, it's just really satisfying to open. I love opening it. If there is a big, massive reprint where I can get some booster boxes, I don't know if I'd open any at this point because I'm filling out the binder quite a bit, but it'd be nice to uh, hold on to some to open down the road. But yeah, I just don't think it's going to be enough. Like, It's going to drive down prices a little bit for sure. You, you have the Rapunzel, which was playable, and now it's even more playable because people have shifted into those colors more. So it was already like a fifty dollar card. Now it's like sixty. Um, 
So all the cards like that, they might come down, you know, 10 to 15 bucks. But, you know, all that's going to do, that's going to open up more people to play those decks. So they're all going to get scooped up. Yeah, and the hype is definitely there for the interest. But... Well, and it also doesn't account to people, like, if they actually do print enough where it survives on the shelves, like, it doesn't account for all the new people who are going to actually finally find it, and then what's, or, you know, they're going to look at building decks. Well, yeah, so, and the interest is there. You're seeing a lot of, like, negativity and I don't know, on social media, and I don't, depends on how you identify that or how you perceive that, but the way I see it is potentially a lot of people say oh i'm done with the game now does that mean permanently i i don't think so maybe some are but i figure a lot of those people will come back when the product comes back and but you can't add any new game stores because they're not allowing anybody because they can't even supply the people that are already on their shipping list and you basically, since you can't add any new ones and people can't get any product, there's less places having events. Now, it is kind of the end of the season, so it it's not the end of the world. But they also announced, I think it was March or April, the, the game season or the uh, season be- begins. So they're aiming by the middle of spring to be able to have events. So that must mean they're they're ambitious about the product they can get of the next three sets technically. Well, no, it's not technically it is realistically because they, I think it's in late February, early March that set three is supposed to come out. Yeah. Supposedly. Yeah. So, I mean, if your season's beginning in April and if they announce that you can't delay that or else that makes things worse. And at that point you're going on for eight months. So if they think if that's how it's going to start, then that means the amount of product that's going to come out between two weeks from now and March to be able to support that is significant, you would think. Yeah, you would think. But then they also need to print some just so they have it at these events, too. Like exactly. They need to have supply at the events. and <laughs> Trying to have a national tournament and then like, oh, man, we can't even supply you guys. Sorry. Yeah, or we we went over budget because it cost six hundred dollars a booster box. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they'll do. Then the game is great. I initially wanted to play the game, but I just said screw it. Like I was one of those people who said, like, ah, I don't, I don't care to play it. It's just too much of a headache, too much cost. I don't want to spend two hundred fifty dollars to build a deck. Um, when one, like it's. It's it is a fun game, but the the experience of going in the store, like when I went, it wasn't the best because people were just lacking, you know, the cards. There would be one guy there who like pimped out his deck, spent three hundred dollars, and then maybe a couple others who were in in that realm, but then everyone else is just there to have fun, just playing with their crappy decks because they can't get enough good cards. And it uh, it's fine. It'll work its way out, but I don't know. It just I I kept the decks. I have the deck boxes. I just put them aside. Um, our local game store. Last time I was in there, they had more deck boxes in, so they got a resupply of those. Um, but 
yeah, I just I took out all the good cards that were playable and I sold them and I kept like one copy of them if I need them for my binder. And now I'm just focused on uh, a binder set because I'm going to have to buy a lot of the hollows and still haven't pulled the big Elsa or any enchanted rare. So I'm going to wait as long as possible to get those um, and then worry about building decks later. Once all the stuff goes out of rotation, maybe I'll, uh, I need a, I need a card from a future set to replace Rapunzel. So then I can buy four Rapunzels when nobody's using them again. Yeah. That's what I want to do. Like I, I want to have three decks, but I don't really care to keep up with them outside of the first chapter. Like I would just like to have decks to remind me of the OG days down the road. Well, and people have been saying they don't think it's that good, but I mean, I kind of thought that too for most of the cards from set one until I saw the Enchanted Bears and some of the legendaries. So I I don't know if I believe that when some of the cards I've seen have been great, specifically the Winnie the Pooh, and I would almost guarantee we're going to see an Enchanted Winnie card. I shouldn't say guarantee, but I would bet we could see a Enchanted Winnie the Pooh card. And I think people just need to wait till we see the, all the legendaries and even some of the songs or maybe even some of the enchanteds before people say that, because I mean, we kind of remember how we mentioned how it was for Pokemon, right? It did, Pokemon didn't really start getting something together until the gym set. So what was that set four base jungle? Yeah, no, set five, set like five. That, yeah. That's yeah. So I mean, having a lot more character and, which yeah, I do feel that they're they're branching out a lot more than I thought they would. Like, you know, for starters, the first chapter, I mean, they really had a wide selection. I thought they were going to do like an Aladdin-based set and then, you know, do like the bare minimum, like Mickey Mickey set, kind of the classics, but they really stretched wide and they really got some obscure cards in there. Like where only like the most serious Disney fans would know what they are. Well, what I still think if we want to go to the next level, what we need is a TV show. Um, you need something to hit that kid demographic, because without it, we're, I know Magic is is struggling, and it doesn't look good for the future of Magic. But in order for Larkana to break it and remove Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh from the top three, the only way to do so is if they reach the younger generation. And I've heard nothing in the works, so that tells me potentially they... I mean, it's not a good idea to have a show when you already have a shortage. But with most of the rider strike ending, um, you could potentially get something going by the following fall, or like this time next year. However, I don't know if we're going to see that or not. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, yeah, it, it'd be nice. Like, I think they'd be okay. Like, I don't know how they would make a Lorcana show. Like, Well, it's based off of, like, they kind of mentioned how it's this Lorcana lore, right? They kind of put it in its own universe. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But, like, they need to make the target audience, like, slightly older than their normal, I feel like. But, They're probably going to aim for, like, the seven, eight-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know how they would exactly do that, but 
the game the game is fun like i actually really like the game it is a little simple um but it's not as simple and honestly I hate to say it boring as pokemon but it it does have like a magic feel the games are really quick because it's it's a race to 20 and it does feel like that it feels like a legit race like really quick games um I wish they were more drawn out and a little more thought provoking, but when you look at the like Lorcana subreddit, that aspect of the game is praised because a lot of these kids and a lot of these parents who are playing with their kids, short attention spans, you know, the games go really quick. It's really satisfying. The parents don't want to sit there a long time and play. The kids want to play another one and the parents can say yes because the games only take five minutes sometimes so it is exactly what they were setting out to do um and even from the beginning you know they were talking about how it's meant to be like a best two out of five situation because the games go quick um so yeah i think the essentials are there and as far as collectability goes, it's honestly a lot more perfect than they were planning, I'm sure. They say they're not focused on the collector, but, you know, the very first set they release, they have a hollow that you get one in a pack and every single card in the entire set can be hollow. So that alone is a huge chase for set collectors because I tell you what, I open up a booster box Lumineers Trove and like eight other packs and I have less than half of the hollows because there's so many cards in the set as well. So, and then that's not even mentioning the D23 set or the Disney 100, 100 collector set coming out. So, collectability is there, playability is there. This game is going to succeed for sure. Which is why I am after the stitch and with the maleficent i'm gonna potentially wait a little bit on maleficent we'll see i'll kind of be paying attention to some stuff but the fact that there's only one maleficent that's priced lower than mine makes me kind of want to be a little patient with that one like maybe wait till the very end of the year before i decide to sell it i know the auction is like 28 and like 3000 you know 2800 3000 I know that shifts lower, but I, because I've sold by that point pretty much everything else besides the Elsa, I mean, I have the ability to just be patient and just see how it unfolds. And if it ends up dipping a little bit, whatever. It is what it is because I have – it looks like potentially it could go up if the right interest still remains. But I'm willing to be, be patient on it and – who knows? Maybe stuff will go crazy by next year, and I could sell the Elsa early next year, but we'll see. And honestly, with the eBay store that I enrolled with, eBay has like these subscription-based things for you know for sellers, and there's several tiers. The highest tier is like three thousand dollars a year or something like that. But it, anyways, mine's like twenty-one dollars a month. And the cool thing is, this is up to an item. So you sell twenty-five hundred dollars. The first $2,500 will be taxed at the, what, 12.8% or whatever it is. Or not taxed, but the fees from eBay. Yeah. And then after that 2500 it goes down to like 2.35%. So 
So anything after $2,500, it's only the fees at 2.35% because you're enrolled in their subscription. So it actually makes it to where it makes almost no sense to sell even like at a con unless you can get 80% cash at least. Yeah, for sure. It definitely, uh, if you got a lot of items across the year, it definitely uh, is worth it. Or if you have just one or two big items. I mean, potentially the sale of, I mean, Elsa itself would pay for it. Like I did the math, it would save me that there'd be a, almost a $600 difference potentially and just the overall raw fees. So, I mean, even if it's only three, 400 bucks extra that I save because, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't have a lot more items that, that pricey, but it's worth it. Like three to 400 bucks. I mean, yep, you know, there's well. a, there, yeah, exactly. But uh, I want to say, there's also some crappy sellers that we've been seeing on eBay as well. Specifically one. Yeah, I've been noticing this guy. Um, can't remember his name. He's got like some weird letters and numbers. It's like Glenn. Yeah. I. If this is a legit guy and I'm calling him out for the wrong reasons... Well, you know, I don't care. He's being called out for the right reasons. He basically, if he has these items or not, I don't know. But a lot of the high-value items that I've been tracking, first edition, first edition Charizard, even Lorcana now, he puts up these listings, which he has quite a bit of, and quite a bit, like, complete sets and stuff. So really good, like, pictures on some of these listings. But his second picture is a... You know, do not bid. I'm selling these on behalf of my business. Email me at this. You know, it's literally an email inside his second picture. And I I straight up reported him multiple times. Every time I see one, I don't know how eBay is like, you know, letting him continue. And, you know, maybe you have an email or something in your description. But if you're going to put items up at auction and just flood the market flood the listings with like garbage listings it's just so annoying like um i'm constantly clicking through ooh a new listing oh it's this guy well you know it's it's just super annoying to see he's just like shit posting on ebay basically and uh yeah i don't know why he hasn't been limited on that he literally cancels bids um he doesn't want the item to end. So it's just really frustrating to see. Been a lot of that going around. Like, even if he's legit, like, I don't want to deal with someone like that because it's, like, really shady um, just to be throwing out all these listings and reaching out on this email. And I would have to, like, meet up with him in person for me to be comfortable with that guy. But, is it so it's not the guy that posted the four sets at one point of L- L- Lorcana? I don't think so. I think that was someone different. That looked to be pretty legit. Um, that's another thing. I was looking at some Lorcana sets and I noticed these new raw sets up. There was a, I think, a PSA 10 complete set. They were all consecutive except for the Captain Hook. I'm not finding that now. He may have taken some down, but... Well, because we were... I was saying how stupid it was to have three raw sets and a PSA 10 set all go to auction and at the same time. 
Like, do you have any idea how how stupid that is? It's I get do like you know, doing it in the same weekend, maybe like two of them. I kind of get that. I mean, if you need money, you know, but to have three of them and all at the same exact time on the same day, you're you're only going to have so many folks interested in buying these items. So if you have three, you're already giving it up. And if somebody loses another one, well, that guy that might have bid more on another item, well, he can't bid on that now. Like, if I were him, I would have staggered. Like, I would have done one Raw, one PSA 10 set, and then the next week, sell another, and then the next week, sell another, if you really need the money. Well, on top of that, too, like, yeah, that's dumb. Like, don't put everything up at once. But, you know, just think about this, right? If the guy has four sets, one of them is a complete PSA 10 set. Yep. <laughs> like, what do, you, what do you think happened there? Do you think he just created yep. one? And he he obviously knows the value, so he he like put it up there at a legit price. If he has four sets and one graded, and he knows the price, like what do you think happened there? He probably handpicked the best copy of each card out of four sets, and then sent all those in. And then now he's got three sets that are probably not PSA ten condition. Which is uh, why I never bought another one after I start seeing people talking about that. And just the fact that they were talking about it was enough to scare any should should have been enough to scare anybody away. Yeah. Unless you had really really high ratings and you talked to them, because I at that point it would almost be cheaper overall just to buy the tens when they were bottoming out in price back in like the end of 2022. Yep, it was definitely uh, definitely a thing. So. Yep, it's you gotta be careful out there. It's the same thing goes uh, for Pokemon. I can't even see it, dude. Here, hold on. But yeah, that's uh. He must have pulled them. Must have, or I wonder if he got like an offer for everything. Uh, yeah, it's kind of what I'm thinking too. Because I don't see the set of six, the set of ten. Um, let me just check real fast. I'm gonna see one thirty point. I'm just going to type in Disney Lorcana D23, see what comes up. But yeah, it's all pretty wild. Um, you know, we're fans of Lorcana. I'm sure we'll talk about it again in the future. But it uh, also kind of leads into our, our other talk, too, about just the markets in general. And, you know, Pokemon, old Pokemon, has obviously been on the downtrend. Um, Lorcana as a whole has as well. Um, the D23 sets and the playable cards have been holding up strong because it's new and exciting and, you know, people are still trying to build out their decks. Um, sports world, though, I've been seeing a lot of stuff in the sports world. It's not, not looking too hot over there. And there's a couple factors got baseball season wrapping up a lot of big football players have had some injuries this year basketball season is just starting so maybe we'll see some hype there um but in general i think it's really important to point out like the lull that the hobby always sees around the holidays Mm -hmm. a few things are exceptions like d23 sets stuff that is like no brainers like that but if you're sitting on like a lot of a lot of junk slabs and stuff like that, people 
in general across Pokemon are being more wise of what they buy, but especially I feel like November, December into January, things really slow down. So I just wanted to kind of pick your thoughts on that. Have you noticed anything? I know you haven't been really buying too much. Um, no, but I, though I haven't been buying, um, as I talked in the last episode or whichever episode was, they just called Blinden at this point. <laughs> but, uh, I was keeping an eye on about a half dozen cards, and those are the pro- those are the cards I've been keeping an eye on and have a f- semi familiar idea with the price points. And we definitely have seen a decrease. We saw a little bit already about a m- month or so ago. You could argue with some cards like Mario, Luigi, Pikachu, some of the Ponchos. They've hit the floor after their little hype period they had in the summer, and I don't want to say they're on the inc- increase again per se. They're kind of they're trying to go up in certain areas, but they're also kind of staying, you know, around twenty two, twenty three, some hundred, uh, twenty three hundred, or even like twenty five, twenty six hundred. A few of them were reaching upwards of three thousand during the hype, um, you know, just just before, just under that in some cases. So obviously they've gone up from what they were, but what they were like a year ago because they were around two thousand, even a little bit under. So they have gone up like ten to twenty percent. But they still haven't gone back up to that high yet. Now, I could see these cards reaching that as soon as next year. Mm-hmm. Like 3,000. We said this about the Mario card last year. We were just like, it's like 2,000 now, but we could see the 9 being around 3K. Now, that was true at one point, but it's came back down. But it, and it's kind of in a weird area because there's not a lot of people buying them right now. Or at least seems like people are being patient because there has been a lot of sales. Yeah, they're they're getting scooped up. They're just not being I feel like they're going into more holdy hands, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Like there are quite yeah. a few sales and they do well and they've all been hitting about the same price point. But I feel like people who have thought about selling after the hype really realize that they better sell before they go down lower. And so I think that's what we've been sell what we've been seeing rather. There's been a few people like finally letting go, but there isn't that many. So No, which weird. is why the groundwork is there, just like we said last year, of it reaching that next threshold, um, of three thousand, maybe even slightly more. And the Mario ten especially is Definitely, it was as low as 5K, which was obviously very low. Um, you could argue, as a, as a buyer, you could argue the market price is around 5,500. As a seller, you could argue it's around 6K, because there have been a couple auctions and even a buy it now that reached that 6K threshold. Um, but as always, this time of year, sometimes if you need the money, sometimes you got to sell. And 5,000 being whenever it hit the low after the hype. That was I I think we both thought that was a little too low, right? For the 10. Yeah. I thought it should have it should have been closer to 6k, which is what the value is now. So I would say it's recovered from the low and it's stable for now. Um and I expect to see that as you mentioned throughout into the next year. Which is just in time I'm finally getting that damn car, that damn Mario 9. <laughs> it's going to be soon. It could be as soon as the next 30 days, but um 
but no, it's it's definitely a thing where you should be pulling the trigger on it if you can sooner rather than later. There are other cards that we could add to that and other reasons why we can suggest that. This Van Gogh fiasco being another. And I think the more people realize as things calm down that these promos are the last of the creme de la creme. These cards beyond like your trophy cards, these cards are the ones from pre-2020 and like XY, Sun and Moon era <laughs> that are going to hold the most value. You know, the, the Munch promos, the the Ponchos, the Mario Pikachu, which is kind of a poncho, and the Luigi. All those cards, I kind of put in the same like boat with obviously some being higher, like the Charizard uh, X or which, whichever it is, and the PSA 10 Mario, and then the 20th Anniversary Festa. Those three are obviously all in their own field, and then you kind of have everything else is in the tier just below that. And like those two I mentioned, those couple could go up pretty high in, in the future because, as you also mentioned, they're going to be in more holdy hands. As buyers buy in now, they're not going to sell. Most aren't going to sell until it reaches a certain threshold. And what that threshold is, I can't necessarily suggest, but say if you bought in at 5000 you're probably going to want to at least get to 10000 before you sell. Yeah. Now, it's not everybody. Some people, sometimes things come up and you got to sell. Sometimes you change priorities and you want to sell. But generally speaking, a lot of the people interested in buying now, they're not going to sell until it probably doubles if you include fees and taxes and all that. So, Yep. And the modern booster box, the modern chase has kind of been lackluster. You have good yep. sets like 151. Um, but yeah, I remember last year's Collecticon, what did all the big ballers have? They had booster boxes. And uh, now, this year's Collecticon, all the big ballers had poncho Pikachus. And if you could choose one or the other, the actual card that's already graded, the end product, what people want, is the ultimate winner. You might take pride in owning a booster box, but there's all sorts of problems now with, you know, booster boxes if uh, they've been tampered with and just the overall market decline in the older stuff because it's not shiny and new and, you know, older, rare, mint, or better is kind of turning in newer, shinier, stonkier, better, you know. People just want the newest thing. Um and that, that kind of got me thinking, you know, what's one set in 2020? Um, you could you could say, you know, Champion's Path was kind of like a... Uh, that one will be forgotten. Yeah, it was, it was good. I think that one's only going to be... Rem- I think that one will be remembered. It wasn't a set to remember because it was really lackluster, but it was, yeah. it was the set that started all. And then what was the very next set? Like Vivid Voltage... Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, Vivid Voltage, and then after that, there was um, was it Shiny Fates, and then Battle Styles. Well, that's no, there's I, something else. There's something that's else. That's what after I'm saying. Vivid. Like you, you notice those sets, but like, what was the set before them? What was the set after them? It's hard to remember because they just mm-hmm. get lost in in the mess. They didn't really have anything that was as good as champions path charizard or shining fates amazing rares which are like two dollars now 
And the reason why Battle Styles will be remembered is the first set with the alt arts, or the official alt arts, I'll say that. And it has the Sleeping T-Tar in that set. But Shining, Shiny Star V will be remembered because it caused people to lose their minds. Yeah. Like, oh my god, it's Shiny Star V! That's when or, the old... Uh... That's when the old Japanese like realization happened. People started seeing well, those. Well, and I was curious. You know, I looked at what the EV Heroes bo- box was at. That's four hundred ish. The one most recently just sold a couple days ago for four fifty shipped. So you know, I was just I, I needed to do the math on all the stuff I, I sold to get Lorcana and how much I like how much I made more than having the items now because I was right in everything I bought. I was like within two to three years it'll, it'll double, and I was right on every, all of that. The EV Heroes Gym Box, EV Heroes uh, Booster Box, the uh, the Ultra Shiny GX. That's now like eight hundred dollars, you know. Um, so I, I am curious to do that here soon. But those were the reason why I went, we went after, I went after those sets because I knew immediately those were the iconic sets of their era. And there's a reason why they perform so well. Whereas if you have a bunch of seal crap from Silver Tempest, it's probably not going to do so well. Yeah. Yeah, if you could, uh, if you think of one, yeah, like one set from even X and Y, you're, you know, out of all of X and Y, what was the best set? Like, we know that's pretty much evolutions across the board. You know, what was, what was the set before evolutions? What was the set, Uh, what was the set after evolutions? Because XY began slow. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're what we're seeing. Like one fifty one, great set. People have been shouting to the mountains about one fifty one. It's been it's brought even more people into the hobby. So this is almost like hype situation. I have a friend who's been out of the hobby since I first left the hobby back in like twenty fifteen, twenty fourteen. And even though I came right back in a couple years, he never really did. He didn't even, you know, he he kind of reached out to me and was like, dude, now's the time to sell, like in the in the hype of 2020, which I was selling a lot. But even even that didn't bring him back into the hobby. And of all things, 151, he's he started a binder. He's going for an English master set. So it's brought even more people into the hobby, which is awesome. And well, that's why they keep on going after the base set, because they know that. That's yeah. why, although we've said how we're tired of it, what you're describing is why they do it. And bringing in those oh, yeah. people, if they have kids, nephews, whatever, you get another generation. You hook that next generation. Yep. He just so happens to live in Houston. I told him about Collecticon. Coming to Houston next weekend. He, yeah, they say it's he's, coming he's up. He's bought two tickets, and he's probably going to go and buy a bunch of Pokemon stuff. Did, did he tell me <laughs> probably want to make sure you get VIP? <laughs> I did not, but he he he's not that type. Like he'll just want to go for like just seeing all the stuff. Yeah, we can't this year. Just as a little tidbit, the moment that shit's announced, we got to buy VIP passes immediately. Yeah, and then just worry about everything else later. So yep, he's uh he's going, but yeah, the point is you look back through the history of time, you know, Watsy's kind of its own thing. Yep. Even even the OG EX era, those sets are so old, like anything from those sets is kinda seen as a gym. But when you get into like stuff that is more common knowledge, you'll 
you'll see like evolutions syndrome you know people might remember evolutions Mm -hmm. people look back on sun and moon they remember like shining legends hidden fates you know cosmic eclipse i think would be up there yeah stuff like that but you know crimson invasion you know that meme of course ultra prism forbidden light like these sets are just gonna be kind of unbroken bonds you know lost thunder yeah dragon majesty before you know shining legends well shining legends are good but burning shadows guardians rising these are sets that nobody's going to remember besides folks that collected in that during the era looking like it's it's, you kind of have to look out i mean you you can relate this to not just cards right but music and films like if you think about all the movies that came out in the 1950s what are the movies you actually remember you know the iconic ones north by northwest um uh, let's see, some like it hot uh, on the waterfront. You know the the most famous movies you're, you'll know. Everything else, unless you're a big film buff, you're probably not going to know. It's the same as that concept. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff and a lot of people like hoarding all these sets. Like it, it's going to take a while, but the you know stuff kind of becomes obvious. One fifty one is definitely going to be the evolutions, you know, style set. It's definitely going to be one to be remembered. And yeah. all these other ones, like these Scarlet and Violet sets that have been kind of starting off poor, like that's just, we're just kind of going back to what Pokemon was before the hype. Like the sets are new and exciting, but they're not as exciting as like a special set. Like, you know, you remember the Hidden Fates craze, how long that was? That's that's going to be 151. Like nobody's really going to care too much about like the current set, but we'll be chasing 151 for you know the next year at least. So it's good well, to see did. it it should be a signal to people like on what to collect, but I don't know, people just kind of dabble in everything it seems. 151 is a safe bet. All those sets, like you said, Shiny Star, V, the high-class sets over in Japan. Like, even though some are better than others, those are always pretty solid because those are the best of the best. 151 is like a celebration of the best of the best. Yeah, and look at it right now. So what we've seen so far for Scarlet and Violet, so we're on the the fifth set's coming out next week. Yeah, the third. So one, two, three, four, five. So that's the fifth set. So let's relate that to the Sword and Shield series, right? So what do you think the fifth set was? I mean, it, I'm guessing it doesn't really matter, but it was Vivid Voltage. Yeah. So Vivid Voltage was before Shining Fates. It was before the Altarts. So kind of keep that in mind on where we're at in this era. Um, on Now, they're still kind of using the d- different types of rares with the more specialized art. And where everybody's kind of curious to see what the art rares are going to be like for the shiny series that's coming out with the uh, shiny treasures. It's coming out in Japan next month. I think it's coming out in January, I think, for for us. Um, That set should be interesting because if it has shiny art rares, I mean, come on, That, 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 that has the groundwork. For all of us, regardless if you're heavy and modern or not, to get in on it. Like, that's the type of set where I might actually buy something. 
Yep, that's what people are waiting on. Should potentially have some shiny art rares, and then when they you open up that box, you know they're going to have a damn Charizard. You know they're going to have a Charizard in there. They already have that ugly ass Char- Charizard, so they're going to have another one. Yep. Once they open up that box, anything is possible. But yeah, and we even said, you know, we said multiple times going into Scarlet and Violet. I'm pretty sure we said verbatim. Like, the first two sets are going to be really toned back, like every base set has been. And to some extent, they haven't really, because they kept the character art rares, so they're still really good sets compared to, like, Sword and Shield base or Sun and Moon base. Like, they're higher quality sets with the art rares, but from sets just last year, they are definitely toned back a little bit, less exciting, and... That's what we expected. That's what many who've been around a while expected. That's just how it is. They can't just keep going balls to the wall and uh, make shinier and better. And, you know, I feel like they are doing that and they're trying to limit as much as they can. But, yeah, they can't go too hard with it. Well, and, you know, I'm just curious. We're talking about the set. So and this is one of the times where it looks like the English is very comparable to the Japanese in terms of price. Uh, so the Evolving Skies booster box is 450 left shipped, 480 on some. I mean, kind of crazy. It's still going up. We thought it could it'd come down, right? It's still going up. Um, and it's still that like that for, on the Japanese side. Now, I can't see the, Jap- the Japanese side reprinting the EV Heroes. So what that tells me is eventually those boxes, and very sooner rather than later, are going to get reach like $1,000. Um, I'm not going to put a timetable. I think you're still a few years away on something like that. But for how close it could get that to, to that point with how far we are removed, for how close we are removed from its whenever it would run in print, I think is very interesting to see. And you compare that to Silver Tempest, guess how much Silver Tempest is per box? What's that at? Uh, about 115 So under MSRP. And a lot of people think Silver Tempest is actually underrated. Okay, so yeah, here's a, one that just ended today. Less than $100. 105 shipped. Wow. So this is obviously Silver Tempest will eventually recover eventually right but it's going to take a long time a long time this is one of those sets where if you are investing in sealed you invest in what we mentioned you invest in the best of the best even though silver tempest is an underrated set the pull rates are abysmal a lot of people are keeping this crap sealed so you have to invest in the best of the best that make sure we're in 10 years even people that may, maybe didn't open during the era love that set because Eevee Heroes and Evolving Skies, they're clearly the best of that era. There is no comparison. You know, that's definitive. And it makes sense to get the best from the era, like Evolutions, you know, and you have those. Whereas if you're, evol- if you're buying every set and just keeping that crap sealed, like a lot of people are, you're making the wrong move. And I, I think some people are starting to realize that, and I think more and more... But by and large, a good portion of this hobby is consists of casuals, which is completely fine. Folks that just want to open some packs from the shelf. That's completely fine. Um, but that's a lot of people within the hobby. So they want to, if they want to collect that stuff because it's what you like opening, that's fantastic. If you're hoping for stonks, 
we say this again, you're making the, the, a big mistake. Yeah. And the boxes will do well to some extent. Like, it will happen. Like, those 115 boxes, they will pretty easily go up to, like, 150, I feel like. But it's going to be slow, and they might go up to 150 and stay there for 10-plus years. Yeah. So it's not, like, completely dumb, but there's there's going to be stuff that's moving way quicker for sure. I mean, just look at Hidden Fates, right? That was the bee's knees. After Champion's Path came out, folks quickly went to Hidden Fates. And yeah, people wanted like Divid Voltage and all that, but ultimately Hidden Fates it was the most desired set before it got to like Shining Face, right? It was like that for a while. So crazy that people, they had to re- re- reprint that special set from like two years prior. I actually still remember somebody. They, they posted it on, uh, it was a, a Facebook group. They had 10 boxes at the time. I think it was, uh, what is it, 10 boxes. And there's 10 in there, right? On what? Uh, in a box of ETBs, there's 10. I think there's 10, yeah. So he had 10 boxes of those. And it was like $20,000 or something like that. Because there were like four hundred, and then the reprint came and went down to one fifty, and it's still under one fifty. And if if it's set, like you can, some did go for a little bit over one fifty, but like if you're just looking at it, like most of the last sold, somebody was bidding. You know, there are one forties, one fifties, one sixties, one twenty. I mean, it's about one fifty still, which has been what it's pretty much the case for several years now. Now, just think think about that. The hidden face ETB that was what everybody had to have. Oh, yeah. And now it's still basically what it was three years ago with inflation and all. Yep, it's pretty wild. I think uh, in general, people are being smarter. A lot of these people who like recently got distributors, I feel like they're going to be hurting. You know, it sucks to be tied into a distributor and like want to keep your numbers up, but then you can't sell these boxes. Like a lot of people doing this full time are having to finally like sit on these boxes and it's not a good thing for a lot of people. Um, especially if that's your only gig, but a lot of people to make money off these things are going to have to put them away and kind of forget about them for a while. Um, it will pay off in the future. Um, just, uh, hold off. But yeah, if you have a lot of money tied up like that, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be rough for a while. Well, and another thing is that they're, you're forced to take a lot of their, like their tens, their small little two pack tens with like a coin and two packs, you know, you're forced to take on that with folks don't really feel like buying that, but some folks do like, Oh, 10 bucks for my kid, whatever, a few packs, you know, those tens don't quite sell as well. I'm sure on online. And you have a lot of these folks that are like, what, what not streamers and all the air stuff that are also distributors. And that's how they're able to sell their product. It still amazes me. Like, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of beginning to like, oh, I'm a boomer now. Where it's like, I don't participate in these sort of like whatnot streams or anything like that. I just buy singles. I don't need to like try to engage in an auction that ends in like however so long. On these sort of things, I don't need to see my pack open. Like I, I get no enjoyment out of that. 
And but a lot of people in the hobby do because they're engaging within their hobby with people in their community. They're feeling like a sense of connection. Right. And that's a lot of individuals in the community. And it's just interesting to see as some as some of the generation ages, how much they care to participate in this sort of thing. Yeah, it is good for the hobby. And a lot of it is like these guys just buying quantity, right? Like, I know a lot of people in Cloud TCG posted like at the last Collecticon, he had like a giant box that was filled to the brim of slabs. He was just going around like buying out people's junk slabs. Because um, if you could, if you could offload your entire table for sixty percent, some people will say sure. And if you could, you know, stream or sell it on whatnot for for a hundred percent. Well, even at 80, like that's a 20% win yeah. for you. And that's, that's what's happening a lot of times. Like the downside of these whatnot streams is a lot of stuff isn't going for full face value, maybe slightly lower. But the catch is that you're just going through so many options and so many items. You know, you're instead of selling one card at full price for every one card you could sell at full price, you could sell 50 to a hundred cards at like 80, 90% price through eBay live or, or whatnot. So it's really the quantity aspect and the smaller margins, which makes sense. That's how a lot of stores operate. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense. I just don't know. Like, who's buying all these cards i don't know but i think we need them in the hobby i just it confuses me to who some of these buyers of some of these items are well we mentioned before but i think a lot of them are your zoomers and younger and millennials um which i guess your younger millennials now is about 25 26 your youngest ones are so the majority of folks using this i would say you're probably your older zoomers um, you know, like your TikTok, especially that's predominantly going to be Gen Z not saying, I mean, I know a bunch of millennials that do use it. Just most millennials don't care. Um, it's just one of the difference between the younger two generations on honestly. Um, and TikTok starting their own marketplace now. Oh, John yeah. Pokemon radar. He's going to yep. work for them. So it's interesting to see how that is. So they're, they're going to be establish themselves more so as one of the already like they're they already have that market there to be kind of like an instagram meets tiktok that's kind of you know that's kind of like what that what that marketplace allows for and it allows it to go to, to the next level um but again i'm not really interested in it but again they that's their target demographic right like just because you're not the target demographic doesn't mean you have to get all upset <laughs> But, you know, that's that's great for those that use it, you know, and that there is obviously a market that supplies and it's and it's imperativeness within the hobby. And I, I think it's great. It's great to, for it to develop and it's going to keep on developing. And I think that's fantastic. Yep, it's definitely needed. Even uh, I think Dan, no catch ball, was talking to uh, Z and G over there with his eBay. He's killing it on eBay with all his sales he's basically running a consignment service through there but he even asked him like who's buying all these cards and a lot of people once you get that reputation like rusty's the same way you get people who follow your ebay 
and it's just people who just think it's a good deal. Like there's a lot of people in the hobby that don't necessarily need like this card or that card. They're just like, Oh, that's a good price. I'll buy it and down the road, look at it again. So it's a lot of these like same buyers just casually scooping stuff up. People just love cardboard encased in plastic um, as a whole. So I think it's here to stay to some extent. Um, you know, like we talked about with Collecticon too, though, I think it's kind of a a uh, big fish in a koi pond situation. A lot of uh, a lot of these little guys might have like a side hustle and just get bought out by the big guys, and big guys are going to get bigger and do well for themselves. But yeah, we'll see what happens. Which is which. In 10 to 15 years, what that could potentially create is a sports-like culture, right? And by that, I mean how the sports card hobby works, which are huge shows and big, huge, uh, you know, vendors. Vendors that have millions of dollars in sales a year. And being able to just pretty much, like you said, buy out entire vendors. And it's not just one of those or two of those. You're talking about several dozen within the Pokemon hobby. Like in 10, 15 years, that's what I end up seeing. Yeah. Yep, it's uh, pretty wild. We'll, we'll see Again, what happens. Like there's going to be more. Right now it feels very like um, personable still like at these cons. But I could make it to be more bougie and businessy and... Um, what's the other word? Just overall more commercially in the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah. As the, as we all mature, that in, that will include some of the vendors. Like a lot of people you, we saw at con, it's a lot of younger people, people sometimes younger than us around our say, same age at most 10 years older. Right. That's not everybody, but that's a good portion. Yep. I think it'll it'll work its way out. I do think we're heading in a little lull period. I don't know. the The older stuff kind of confuses me. Like I think just the modern sets in general, we're gonna kind of see the same trend. But it's like, will we see a resurgence in the older stuff soon? I don't know. I think when the economy turns around, yeah, maybe tax season, we'll start getting little glimpses of what's to come. That's kind of- that's kind of what I'm thinking, and um, I forget what I was going to say. I was, I was going to say something. Just go ahead. I'm sure I'll, it'll come to me here in a second. Yeah, just just I think we'll see early glimpses for the tax season, like what's what's going on with that stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting to see. A lot of things, the whole market as a whole, are going downhill but I think a lot of that is weighed in modern. And so the same feelings for modern is getting applied to like the older stuff. But I think that older stuff really is going down for like the wrong reasons. Cause yeah, some things are kind of criminally low. Some even base set hollows in a nine, which are pretty hard. To like grade. a first edition, like a first edition Charizard, for example. Yeah, that that's kind of coming down. I'm kind of setting myself up in a position where if that continues to be where it's at or goes any lower, I need to get ready to jump on a thing like that. Well, 
and uh, actually, I, I, I now recall what, what I was going to say. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The next catalyst of the hype, of the, po- the Pokemon hype, something that won't rival the pandemic, but that something that could get halfway to two-thirds of the pandemic levels. I think that is a nostalgia boom for the 90s. We're already seeing it right right now, the haircuts, the, the clothing. Well, we're kind of seeing it all. Yeah, we're like, we're kind of coming every, out of the 80s, I feel like. Well, there's, we're definitely seeing a lot of 90s. We we're definitely seeing some nineties. I'll I'll tell you that right now. But we're also we're also seeing this weird thing where it's like a hodgepodge of every style from the sixties. So it's like also that element. Um, but just in terms of nostalgia, we're definitely getting there with the nineties. I think you still got to give it a few more years. But the next show, that's like you know a show that captivates. Uh, American audiences, overall audiences, kind of like in lieu of Stranger Things, right? How much stuff was, how much of the 80s nostalgia boom have we seen? We've seen quite a bit. But it was also a slow trickle over a period of like a decade, maybe. Yeah. So I think think you're going to start seeing that. I think it might be a couple years away, but I'm telling you, things that can create a crazy price point is either that or somehow the Charizard making a a big old run. That's the only thing that kind of that I can think about, but it makes sense culturally and impactfully, like to be able to reach that precedence. You need a lot of people coming in in the hobby at once. And the only thing I can really think of that is those cards. Now, maybe if they may, if Pokemon made a God tier game that could do it, but you know, <laughs> I think we'd, uh, <laughs> I think hell might freeze over before that happens. Yeah. So, I think it's going to be a time, like I think the next two years or so is going to be a time of kind of what we're in now. I think things are going to separate more. I think the downtrend, like I said, has kind of blanketed the entire hobby. But things are going to start breaking out of that blanket that makes sense, like older cards. Like, yeah, they deserve to come down, obviously, like with the bubble situation. But... I think they're going to climb up slightly, kind of level back out a little bit. We're not going to go to what we were, but this is, uh, I feel like we're at the low point now and we're almost kind of overstretching the low point because everyone is seeing all this other stuff and they're like, oh my God, we're going to zero. So I think with a little more optimism with the new year and tax season, especially when, uh, things start turning around economically it's going to open up more eyes people are going to collect and like i think that's what they're doing now people are just collecting for more of the right reasons rather than the stonky reasons and uh people in the hobby or at least from my realm of knowledge are are getting smarter I, I say that, and then also we have these people who are buying all this like stuff off whatnot and all that. But for the most part, like for the higher ticket items, like I feel like you know, just with these items being sold at cheap and then not popping back up for auction, they're they're getting homes in more collections than not. So you know, been watching that with the Mario Pikachu Nine. A couple, I feel like there's only been like three in October that I've sold. The first two were pretty close together at the beginning of the month. They barely sold for like a little over 2000 
And then all of a sudden one pops up this month that I think sold for like 3000 And it's well, just because like someone, I'm sure a lot of people were waiting for that next one to pop up and they're just starting to be less and less frequent. Well, I mean, I was kind of noticing that with the PSA 10 Luigi Pikachu, there's just like yeah, two weeks ago, 3200 3400 Um, Let's see. Even just yesterday, 3000 But then you have this one. Oh, never mind. I'm completely misreading it. It's 5700 Australian dollars. So it was under 4000 So, yeah. So you have the 10 for Luigi Pikachu is like 3500 yeah. which is incredibly low. I I almost feel like that one's undervalued. Right right now, everybody's fo- so focused on the Mario that Luigi the Luigi Pikachu is getting completely ignored, and I find that odd, honestly. There's a guy who had their Luigi listed for three thousand a couple weeks ago, but now they upped it to like thirty two, I think. Which is market price. That's a fair market price. And then yeah, you have the PSA Mario Nine. You had a Somebody who paid three thousand dollars the day after one was sold at an auction for twenty two hundred, the PSA nine Mario Pikachu. The only let me see, actually that does look good. I'm kind of curious if this one has a shot. If this guy thinks it has a shot at a ten, it could. It could. And it actually does. The, no, yeah, it does. Like the centering is right on the the border. Um, that's probably why this person paid that, because it, the front looks about fifty five, forty five, and the back looks about sixty forty. So it's like right there. If you can get a favorable, it, it might be worth it. But yeah, anyways, that was one that sold at three thousand. But all the other ones sold around 2000 and then you got to go back to august for any recent sales of psa 9 so that makes it kind of hard to gauge the price on that one because yes somebody paid 3200 but it if you look at it it has a legit shot at a psa 10 but then two ones two psa 9s that sold literally two days before the 3200 sold low 2000s so yep it's uh it's getting tough out there. It's kind of like we saw with the the ponchos or like the higher end ponchos and the uh, Festa promo with the 20th anniversary. Like a lot of those cards dried up early this year. And especially after the hype that Japanese had this summer, even more is getting scooped up. So, And I think if people aren't putting two and two, two together yet about the exclusive promos or like, these truly rare and sought-after promos, um, then I think people are not looking in the right direction. I think a lot of people are uh, clearly right, but there's a lot of people that have no that don't think twice about spending $500 on a set, and they might do that all year. Yeah. But then they won't go after something that's that's genuinely good, and then they you might get $300 in value if you if you open that much product, right? Like it's just. You're literally gambling, and at this point, you're not even mm-hmm. gambling on, on th- something good because your rate of return on most of these sets are not good. It's not good. The ROI is terrible. 
but uh, no, I I mean, again, if you like it, you like it, and that's fine. But I'm just saying, I think a lot of people see these price tags, and it's either one, it's too much, it se- seems too daunting, or two, they, they don't have the money, which, you know, I completely understand that much money to be able to spend on a card like that. You know, it comes from a lot of privilege. But I think that that has something to do with it, and you don't have as many eyes on it because of it. But as the hobby grows, and so does the overall like, disposable income, it's going to be interesting to see how some of these cards rise. Yep, I think we'll I think we'll see it in an uptrend, and possibly tax season. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. I think uh, I think majority Watsy is still low for the right reasons like there was a lot of base set stuff but you know those first editions are getting down there quite a bit um even like jungle fossil like it's insane what you can pick up some of that stuff for pretty sure you can get like a psa 9 first edition venusaur for under 2000 so that's pretty nuts but anyway just that's actually really of, crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, that 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 thing is gonna be one of the first ones to rec- like go huge. Like the gross you could get for the Blastoise or Venusaur to PSA nine. I mean, weren't those hitting? Wasn't nine hitting twelve k during the height? I'm not feet. sure so. on those, but it would make sense. Yeah. Yep, it's wild out there. I guess that pretty much concludes all the topics we really wanted to hit on, right? Uh, yep. Guess we had a uh, couple questions here we could hit real quick. Yep. Uh, my question is, what does your collection say about you? Huh. Hmm. I feel like. Uh, going to give the old political answer here i feel like could say a lot of different things to a lot of different people um what it means to me like when i look back on it is that i'm kind of in it for the love of the hobby and it's not necessarily because of the cards i have it's just like what i've chose to do with what i have you know, during the hype, I didn't sell a whole lot. I had, like, all these gold stars, first editions, that I just kind of ignored all the noise. I just graded them last month. So it just tells me, like, because I have that stuff and because I didn't sell, like, I've just kind of always stuck to what I liked for the right reasons to me. You know, the right reasons for other people could be, you know, more money-focused, but... The right reasons for me is just kind of collect what I like and, you know, if everything went to zero, I'd probably be upset that I didn't get rid of some of my uh, PSA slab collection because, you know, ultimately that that plastic and that number up top does inflate the price and I could be happy with just a binder copy of it, but the stuff is so expensive it doesn't make sense to put it in a binder anymore. Mm -mm. So, like, that stuff, I have to admit, like, I kind of am in the money game or, 
you know, you kind of have to be ignorant not to acknowledge that side. Cause even though it's not really the money thing for me, like I have it because I like it. And that being said though, I just can't ignore like what it is. If, if everything did go to zero though, like I'd have my, my binder collections, like those, those are like really pure to me in its purest form. Like I have a lot of stuff in those binders that really should be graded. Like I have Neo Shinings. I have the crystal cards, base set all the way through Sky Ridge. Like a lot of that stuff is in really good condition because I bought most of that stuff even before 2016. So it's really, you could really go for a minty copy for pretty cheap. And I usually did. So that again shows me that I'm kind of more in it for the enjoyment because I could have and probably should have picked those binders of all the gradable stuff and just replaced them with slightly lesser stuff. But yeah, that's that's what it tells to me. I don't know if it says that to other people because it, it just is based off what other people view the hobby as, but... I feel like that's what it says about me in my own head. That makes okay. sense. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the people who have been around a while before all the craziness, like I feel like my collection would speak that to them as well. Yes. Yeah, I hope so, because so, that's how I feel. <laughs> I want to say my collection would say I'm newer, obviously. That I'm very nostalgic. And I guess you can say I'm, I was a little impulsive, maybe. But overall, the stuff that I do have means something. I think that's the that'd be the simplest way of saying what it means. Because if you I sold a lot of my cars that were worth much, so I could afford this opportunity to get this. Uh, Mario Pikachu and pretty soon it's the stuff I have slabbed is basically my childhood set some of the just junk slabs or modern that I really really loved which obviously ties back to nostalgia <laughs> so and then obviously the Mario and Luigi Pikachu and even the Poncho Pikachu I mean it all kind of goes back to nostalgia right yeah. So I think ultimately, more so than anything, I'm nostalgic, and that can also change about what I'm nostalgic about. Yeah, your collection has uh, some items that are just like purely nostalgic for you that are pretty cool, like the yeah. base set Zard. Yeah, like in how that's actually in a bank because, I mean, it's nice. I'd just rather have it. I know it's safe, you know? Yeah. I it's a card that I'll never sell. It's a card that's not worth it to sell. I mean, you only get two hundred bucks. No, I, that card. In fact, I might write on marker, childhood czar. Like I'll I'll remember it, but just in case, childhood czar. I'll write on like it's in a slab, obviously, but write that on the back, just so for whatever reason, if if somebody if I if I were to pass and something were to happen, if folks cared about it, they might care about that that czar too. Yeah. So Keep that one like more cherished than the others. Yeah, and 
I can appreciate the childhood stuff I have. I mean, then if you look at like the growing HMU and stuff, I mean, it says more about I'm collecting what I'm I like, and it's kind of smaller because I've sold a lot of stuff to be able to reach to this moment. Um, obviously, I have a bunch of like empty ETBs, and I have some bulk. I, I have like a whole case of like they could fit 3,200 cards of bulk cards that include a bunch of thick cards. I just like the artwork of. You know, and then you have my binder sets. That's really what it gets down to is I was able to really compartmentalize what I wanted like two years ago. And it's helped me get to this moment. And in the next year, I could buy potentially a first edition Zard and maybe a, a Poncho Pikachu, you know, if everything goes right. And I mean, I'll be satisfied overall. Yeah. Yep. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting see what happens for sure for sure uh my question kind of revisits one that i think we have touched on but if you if you could sell everything for like right at market price for one like would you and like would you use that money just to entirely be done with the hobby or would you throw it right back in? Like you had the choice of like whatever the number is to get you to sell everything. Like you got that number, even your childhood Zard and everything. No. Even if it was a million dollars, which. Ooh. Well, that's <laughs> not market price. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Um, market Market price for everything and then like certain things that. You know, everything's got a price. So, like, I would, I would absolutely give it up because a million dollars is, I mean, we're talking about getting a nice piece of land. Or even like, you know, even if it's not a million dollars, like, I mean, if it's ten thousand dollars, would you let? Would you probably? You'd probably let it go for ten thousand, right? No, it's not worth it because it's not going to make a change of life. You know, it's not enough money to make a change of life money. Um, and that goes with, I don't know what my the value of the collection is because I've sold a lot. I guess if you include Elsa, and the re- technically since I haven't sold it, I mean, I, I'm going to sell Stitch, but like if you include the Maleficent and Elsa and all the other stuff, I mean, my collection probably isn't even worth $25,000 at this point. Um so, would I sell everything for that? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, the binder sets didn't cost an arm and a leg, and the first three sets that I have, obviously with base, jungle, fossil, rock, or the first four, most of those are my childhood cards. Not everything. Like I was missing a couple, but like most of those first sets I've had since I was a kid. Um, a lot of the promos I had since I was a kid, Komiya, that would be one I'd be willing to sell, you know, if the right price came, but like, cause I can get all those cards again, you know? So it's, it's not really worth it for me. Cause I'm, I'm, I guess you can say my collection, while there's obviously value to sell, I mean, minus the Lorcana to sell all that stuff. It's just not worth it financially. Yeah. Like for what I would gain. 
to what I would have lost, it's not worth it. I feel like with me, like if I could get full market for most, I'd be willing to, but I would have to be like full market, no fees, no taxes. Yeah. Like cash, straight cash in person. So That's like exactly possi- what I was thinking too. The possibility is there, but at the same time, I'd like to, like every time I sell some bigger thing, I turn it into other things. So I'd like to keep doing that to, like, get myself ahead a little more before I made that decision. But I'm nearing the point where, like. A collection is worth like a certain amount or like if everything was paid out in full like that, it would it would definitely be tempting. Because, yeah, if you were to ask me in 10 years from now, assuming I got that Zard, the Mario, the Poncho and, you know, maybe the Luigi and all that. That'd be a different story. You know, but not I wouldn't sell like. The childhood stuff, the binder sets and childhood stuff, I would probably take, I'll probably take that. I'll have those things until the very end. Um, just because one, the childhood stuff isn't, isn't worth selling. Again, the, the, the monetary value doesn't equate to what it means to me. And, but however, like you, you mentioned before, like the slab stuff, especially like the grails, like the Pikachu and all the, the Mario Pikachu and all that, that's different. Could that change in price? Yeah. But I believe some of those ponchos in, in a 10 down the road are 20000 plus. Obviously, we're a long way from that, but I think that that's definitely possible. Yeah. I always look at sports, and obviously they're in a downtrend now. But, I mean... I just feel like more people are going after Pokemon now than sports. And, like, it's, I don't know. Obviously, well, I'm, I'm skewed because I'm in this world. But I feel like I feel like sports is all a money game. It like, is. The $300 boxes and shit. Like, I feel like even though that statement that I said isn't necessarily true, like, there's probably more people, sports, and Pokemon. But I feel like... I think it's true for like collecting for the right reasons. Like we're seeing kids younger and younger who are watching these YouTube videos. They're at shows like wheeling and dealing, which is, it's cool to see, but it's like, they're in it for the money game. They're not really in it for the enjoyment of the hobby. Like their enjoyment is like making money off of it. Not like collecting for the most part. Yeah. I mean, sports, also kind of has some of the things with Pokemon as well. But whereas certain cards can have value even in 10s, like even some character rares and stuff like that, a lot of these cards for sports in 10 years are going to be in the $1 bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a lot of, like, it includes some refractors besides some of the ones for ones. I mean... A lot of sports cars aren't going to be, aren't going to, and we're, they're printing so much of it. Whereas a Pokemon, I think the value 
could be there because it's not tied to a player. It's tied to a thing. Or I guess a person is a thing, but well, you, even then, you know it's what I mean. still kind of the same case. It's just Pokemon doesn't put out as many products, but like, you know, 95 or more percent of what Pokemon puts out isn't worth anything. No, it isn't. So, and it's the same way with sports. It's just, you know, they print way more products, but they also have way more pools. You know, they have out of 100, out of 50, out of 10, out of five numbered cards. So it's just more diluted. But I think the biggest thing going about those hobbies right now is like just everyone chasing the money. And then with the hobby kind of going in a downtrend, it's it's hard. We're going to see how long it can last, but it'll, it'll definitely last. But to the extent of that it has in the last couple of years, I don't know. It's just, I feel like you just have more genuine collectors and Pokemon who are just in it just to collect. Like, you know, you ask kids why they like a certain card. It's like, Oh, he's my favorite Pokemon. Or you ask, kids at some shows like oh who's your favorite player oh i i collect them all i'm just in it for the money <laughs> you know you definitely have vice versa as well but you're more than likely to get kids who are hustling chasing dollars and sports than you are pokemon i feel like yeah but it's also the uh younger age demographic where they might not care about money as much yet so or they've already identified what they want, and they'd rather sell that. They'd rather sell cards to get that as well. There could be something of that, too. Yeah. <laughs> because when we, you see, even in Pokemon, you see kids trying to sell their stuff to get something else. Yeah. Like every time I, w- I went to Yeti Gaming, there's always these kids trying to sell to get another card. But the way kids are, they're, what they want changes constantly. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I, I want to sell these cards to get this new card that's out that I really, really want. The latest and greatest to the next exactly. set. That's why exactly. I keep seeing this modern hype that I think is going to die out. I think all that money that's uh, dying out is going to go to smarter things. And I'm telling you, I think the next year potentially is the year to buy some Watsy. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, guys, we're going to wrap it up there. Made a pretty good length out of that chat, but uh, not sure what the next one will be, but we'll see you there. See you next time. Peace. Peace out.